We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 1 again and read the first three verses of Ezekiel chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every remembrance of your wonderful precious and beautiful Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for his wonderful sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, our sins are paid in its fullness. Now, Father, we pray, Lord, as we, uh, Lord, delve into thy word, that you would help your people, encourage them, strengthen them, instruct them, and teach them, and bless them. And, Lord, this day be over. This meeting be over. We pray, Father, that your Son would be glorified in our hearts, in our lives. And, Father, we do pray also that those that are here, Lord, would be, Lord, they'd be strengthened by the time they go through the doors to go home again. Father, bless and encourage all of your people here, those who are not with us this morning, those that are away, or maybe for one reason or another, those that are ill. We pray that you encourage them and bless them. Bless those that have traveled to be with us. And Father, we ask it, Lord, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is part two of God Knows Where to Find You. God Knows Where to Find You. We looked at Ezekiel as by this river. Chibar or Kibar. It's really Kavar is the name of it. But the, the river Kibar is way in Babylon, away to the far east of the land of Israel. And Ezekiel there, being a prophet, pardon me, being a priest, is made a prophet. And being made a prophet, first of all, he must bring from God to the people. Verse 4 of our reading says, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, and a great cloud, and fire enfolding itself. And brightness was about it, and the midst thereof was the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. I'm booming an awful lot up here. Can you maybe turn me down a wee bit? I don't know what's, what's wrong. I don't know what it's like for you. But I'm hearing myself about four times when I'm speaking here, going around in my ears. And so he sees visions of God. And he brings God to the people. The priest, remember, brings the people to God. But here now at this river, he brings God to the people. And the idea of this being is because the people needed to hear from God in this time where they were in. The people really needed to know from God. It's good to know that we can go into God's presence. And it's good to know that we can pray and he hears us. But there are those times that are really, they're ingrained in us. And we really need to hear from God. 
We need heaven to come down. We need him to get involved, to intervene in our personal circumstances and situations, but in our national circumstances. For example, we looked at how God knows where you are, or God knows where to find you. He knows the position you're in. Not only sitting here this morning, wherever you are any day of the week, he knows the position that you're in. But he knows the condition that you're in. We looked at how last week that how uh, God is omnipresent, God is omnipotent, and he is also omniscient. Let's go for a few minutes to uh, Psalm 139 again. We're not going to read all of this that we read last week. We'll read a little bit, and there's a little part I want to show you I stopped short off last week. Psalm 139. First of all, from verses 1 to 5, getting into verse 6, we looked at God's omniscience. God's omniscience means that God knows it all. God knows your mind, your heart, your life. God knows your feelings, your will, your emotions. God knows your troubles and your trials. He knows it all. Yes, he knows our sin too. Yes, he knows our shortcomings and he knows our failures. But God's omniscience is here for the believer. Striving to walk with him. Let's just read a couple of verses. Verse 1, Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. All-knowing God, omniscient. Thou knowest my down-sitting, mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Here is God's omniscience. Then secondly, we looked at God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence is that he is everywhere at once. He's with you at your river Kibar, wherever your river is. He's with you wherever your trouble is, wherever your problem is, whatever your fear is, wherever the position and the condition of you, he's where you are. So from verses 6 to verse 10, we have God's omnipresence. We'll just read a couple again. Verse 7. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. The idea being is that you can't outrun nor escape God. But on the other side, you're never far from his gaze. He's with you. With you in your problem, he, in your condition that you find yourself in, God is not only knowing all things, but now he's with you throughout all things. And then we stop short. Here's a third one, God's omnipresence from verse 10 to verse 13. Verse 10. Even there shall thine hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Notice his omnipotence is his power. He is the Almighty. He holds you. He holds me. He holds us as his children, as, his, as believers in Christ. Notice verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. In other words, that darkness that envelops you personally, whether it's in your heart and mind, 
or whether it's just the circumstances around you, where you are in position and condition, God is not only all-knowing to what you're going through. He's not only with you for where you are. Now he is all-powerful to keep you, to strengthen you, to help you, to bless you in all of these things. And so you can see here's his omnipotence in all in the one psalm, all of these things. Here David is displaying for us through the Spirit. He's displaying for us all who our God is in a nutshell, if we can put it like that. That the the darkness is like light unto him. So, for example, giving you again is that whenever we walk into a darkened room, we're talking about putting more lights up that we might see when it gets dark. Because of this building so big, there's going to be so many, much light's going to be needed and all this sort of stuff. But no matter if there was never a light and we were in the darkest place, that darkness is just like light to him. You and I can't see our fingers before facing some darknesses. For example, the Alwee Cave on the west coast of Ireland, away down near Galway, that sort of direction. We went one time, myself, Alison, the girls, and her mum and dad, we went, they were telling us about this cave. And you go into the cave and there's a walk, a, a tour guide brings you in. And there used to be what was a a, a bear's den at the time, so many years ago. And obviously there's no bears here now, but there's a bear's den there. And there's the skeleton still there. And you walk past it deeper, and you're right into the mountain. This cave goes right into the mountain. And suddenly there's a rope along here. You have to watch your head, and it's all lights all the whole way through that you can see. And they tell us all to stop and to hold on and don't move. And they switch off the lights and they call it absolute darkness. And it is. You could poke your eye out. You could do this and you wouldn't blink because you can't even see your finger coming at any distance. And in fact, they say that if you're there for any length of time, they give you all the figures. I can't remember them all. But if you're there for any length of time, the human being gets disorientated in this darkness. They get so disorientated Most people, when they're lost in in, in caves like that, they'll go onto their knees and even wonder if there's a floor beneath them or not. It totally just disorientates the person, and they say that they can't find what's left and what's right. They don't know what's up and what's down. They get so disorientated in absolute darkness. And then they switch the lights on, and things seem okay again. Sometimes we find ourselves as though this is absolute darkness. We're disorientated because the stresses, the trials, the strains, the troubles, the worries, the frettings, the fears, and all those things that come upon us, we're in this absolute dark. It just gets around us and we can't see a way out of it. I want you to know this morning God's with you in it. And that which is blinding you to, to, to be nothing but dark, nothing but, you can see nothing. It's still like daylight to him. God doesn't get disorientated in your darkness. And I'm not talking about darkness of sin. I'm talking about the darkness of trouble and trial where things come upon us. God doesn't get disorientated in it. God sees through it all, knows it all, and he's almighty and powerful to keep you in it all. So God's not only omniscient, God's not only omnipotent, and God's not only omnipresent, there's one more in this psalm. If you let your eye run down, we'll just lift a couple of verses out. 
Here's God's omnibenevolent. His omnibenevolence is found in verse 17. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Who's keeping who here? Think of it, brother. Think of it, sister. Who is keeping who here? God is keeping David. The omnipotent. The omniscient. The omnipresent, now omnibenevolent God. What does it mean he's omnibenevolent? It means that he's all loving to his own. That he loves you. Notice here, he's keeping David. And David's telling you and I this morning, God through David is saying to us that God thinks you're precious. Every thought about you because you're his child. Because you're under the blood. Because you're born again. Because you're trusting in Jesus. I got up this morning and I was thinking about these things and I was running through them in my head and just bits and pieces here and there. And I was sitting down and I had a mug of tea beside me and I was just thinking about it and I just felt, you know, when you get up sometimes you just feel blah, you know. I was going through this and I started listening to two different preachers not at the same time but one after the other and I didn't know what they were going to be preaching on and they both preached on trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths both of them one after the other that's the scripture and I said Lord you're telling me to trust today I feel there that I was to give you that this morning. That, that I was to bring it to you this morning. That no matter the darkness and the trial and the trouble, that God is saying to you, trust in me. Trust when you've got a hospital appointment or the doctors. Trust me when you feel you can't get out. When you feel there's no other way. Trust me when darkness is coming around you. Trust me whenever you haven't got your employment because of all of the things that's happened in in the nation. Trust me whenever you're upside down and inside out, when you don't know why you're drilled, bored, punched or whole or whatever you are. Trust me whenever all things are coming against you. And lean not onto your own understanding and in all our ways to acknowledge him. Talk to him about it. Talk to God. He loves his own and he loves to hear our voice, believe it or not. And all I was acknowledge him, Lord, I'm bringing you into this situation. Of, of, I've tried to work it out myself for too long. And he shall direct thy paths. The omnibenevolence of God is that he's, how precious are thy thoughts unto me. Can you say that this morning and say, Lord, you're talking about me. Maybe you're thinking, well, you're talking about him or her or this one or that one or the other one. Listen, he's talking about you this morning. He's talking about me this morning. So here we find God's nature, God's characteristics are found in this one psalm. Ezekiel is a captive. He opens up. If you want to turn to Ezekiel again. 
Ezekiel chapter 1, he opens up with this, the words, pardon me, I'm in the wrong place. Now it came to pass in the 13th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month. Remember, when God speaks, you can mark it down. This is what you said, God. This is what your word tells me. I trust you. The Holy Spirit had him mark it down. And what did he mark it by? He marked it by the reign, in this instance, he marked it by the reign of an ungodly king and the king of Jerusalem. By the way, I have one correction that I made last week. And I'll make it now. I'll correct it now. When we talked of a king Jehoiachin, I said king of Babylon. Jehoiachin was the king of Judah. So that's my correction. I got that wrong. I knew it, and I don't know why I said it. It was one of those Freudian slips. Don't read Freud either. Forget I said that as well. Don't read him either. Just forget I said that, okay? Notice, I was among, what does it say? What does it say? I was among the, what is it? Church, what is it? There's about four years saying captives. I was among the... You're among the captives. He was in captivity. He wasn't in his homeland. He wasn't in Jerusalem. He wasn't a priest at the temple. Everything was taken off him. Everything. Yet God knew where to find him. He's in Babylon. He's a captive. He's by a river. And God knew exactly where he was. I was among the captives by the river Kibar, and the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. I saw visions of God. Notice in verse 2, the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. So let me run a little bit of this history past you just to give you an idea of where they are at the moment. In Israel, that is in the 12 tribes, is split up into two kingdoms. We have the northern house of Israel, the 10 tribes in the north. We have the southern kingdom of Judah, the two tribes in the south. And the north fell into sin and they were taken away captive after God warning them and God divorced the house of Israel. God sent them packing out of the land. And that happened through an Assyrian king called Sennacherib. And there's different deportations through time. And they were taken away. And off they went, never returned as a nation or kingdom ever again. Now about 100, 120 years later, we have here in the house of Judah, Judah falls into sin. This is the southern kingdom. And they fall into sin after God warning them. And so God allows Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come to take them away captive. There's three main deportations that happened. First of all, the first deportation was during the reign of a man called, don't get him mixed up now, Jehoiakim. 
Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was the king in Jerusalem, ruling over Judah, the southern kingdom. Memory serves me right, he was about 25 years of age when he became king. And I think he reigned for about 11 years. So he's about, what was he, 36 when he was taken away captive. And with him taken away captive were men like Daniel, or Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. All went into Babylon. The next captivity, major wave that were taken away from Judah was under Jehoiakim, his son Jehoiachin. That's like my family. I've got my, I had my uncle Roy and son Roy, his son Roy, and then his son, son's Roy. Everybody's names all coming down. And here Jehoiakim had Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin took over uh, Judah when he was about 25 maybe. Do you know how long he reigned for? Three months. And he was taken away captive and with him goes Ezekiel. In fact, Jehoiachin was maybe about 15 at the time. It's Ezekiel. So you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Ezekiel, Jeremiah comes into that picture too, all taken away captive. That's the second captivity. And then there was another major wave, which was the third and final captivity under Zedekiah the king. And we talked about him, how Zedekiah's sons were all killed in front, in front of him and his eyes were put out and so on. So notice here, they're all taken away. Jerusalem is taken over. A puppet king is put in place. And so these people are away in Babylon. Who would know? Who could find? God knew before it happened, brother. And God knew before it happened, sister. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. You can see this. You probably know already what verse I'm going to look at. And sometimes I have to admit it's taken out of context. But look, if you have it on your wall or you're holding on, that's fine personally. But in the context was that God had said to Jeremiah, tell the people to turn, tell the people to change, tell the people to repent, tell the people that the way their nation is going, I'll have them carried away like I did their sister, as he calls them, Judah, or the house of Israel. Jeremiah's preaching, he's the weeping prophet, and he sees the whole lot happening. God said it would happen before it happened, and then it came to pass because they wouldn't repent. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years, you underline that, and you note that down, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. Who was he visiting here? We read of him visiting Ezekiel in Babylon. We also read of him visiting Daniel in Babylon. God starts to visit these people Notice here, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. They're in Canaan land. God says, you're leaving. 70 years you'll be in Babylon. I'm going to make you come back to here. You're going to return to this place. 
Verse 11 is the one most people always uh, love to quote or have up on their wall in a plaque or whatever. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart, and I will be found of you. When you read Daniel chapter 9, you read it when you go home, when you get a chance. Daniel's reading the books, and he says he was reading the book of Jeremiah. And it's in Daniel 9, he starts repenting for the sins of Israel that are near and far, that are in Jerusalem and and those that are in Babylon and, and those who are cast among the nations. And Daniel starts to pray, he says, Lord, your word here in Jeremiah says that you'll come to us, you'll visit us, and when we seek you, you're going to cause this that you'll bring us back again. And that's what happened under the king Cyrus. He allowed Nehemiah and Ezra to go back again. So what am I trying to show you here? God's omnipotence. He's almighty to bring them out. To bring them back. God's omniscience. He knew it all. He knew it all. God's omnipresence. He was with them in it all. God knows where to find you, brother. God knows where to find you, sister. If you would go to Psalm... 137, you will get an idea, an idea of how they felt in Babylon. How they felt in Babylon. Verse 1 By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, and we remembered Zion. We hound our harps on the willows in the midst thereof. For there they carried us away captive, required of us a song, that they, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? That's their heart. That's what they're, they're trying to give us an idea of what they're going through. Who knows about us? We're away captive. We're by these rivers. We've, we've even given up playing on our harps. And we've went to the willow and, or the, uh, the tree and we've hung our harps up and said, we're not going to sing anymore because we're so down, we're so low, because we're captive. So brothers and sisters, you can see the enemy comes and says, sing us a song. You know what they're trying to do? You ready? Where's your God now? Where's your God now? Where's your God now by, your, by this river? Where's your God now when you're feeling like this? Where's your God now that we have taken you captive? Where's your God now when all these problems have come upon you? Where's your God now? You won't even sing a song. You have to hang it on the tree. Come on, where's your God now? Does not what he says? God said, I'll visit you. I'll visit you. I know where you are. I know your position. You're by this river, or you're in CET, or you're watching live on YouTube, 
I'm live on Facebook or later on. I know your problems and I will visit you. I'll visit you. Now that's for you and that's for me to believe him for what he says. I will visit you. Seek me. Seek me. You'll find me. It's a promise. Let's go to Daniel, will we? The book of Daniel, please. And while you're looking that up, I might do a third morning on this subject. I'll tell you why. Of about five pages worth, and I haven't touched up past the first page yet in these last two weeks. So maybe pick a few other things out and we'll look at them. You go to the book of Daniel, and when you read Daniel chapter 2, so Daniel's one of those captives. He's in Babylon. There happens to be a confederacy of about 120 countries, provinces it's called, under one head. Now they're trying to bring it under one goal, one system. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Keeping you captive under one system. It's the beginnings of a new world order. A one world government. This is what you're going to read here. I haven't time to go through it all. I've taught it many, many times. And there, Nebuchadnezzar, the king in Babylon, has a dream. And there's a man with a head of gold. His breast and arms are of silver. His midriff, his belly is, is of bronze. His legs are of iron. And his feet are of iron and clay. Part iron, part clay. And we find in this that he calls for his own soothsayers to interpret his dream. But he says, tell me the dream first, rather than you fill my head full of something. And they can't. They send for Daniel. Daniel seeks the face of the Lord, comes back with the interpretation of the dream and what it means. The dream, pardon me, and the interpretation of the dream. See this man, golden head, silver arms and chest, and brass here, legs here, iron and clay, feet. Then he sees a stone cut out without hands. In other words, it's not man-made like a brick is made, but it's made, it's created by God. This is the stone kingdom that God had set on the earth, and it smashes the feet. And all of these traits run through this man. The feet are smashed. And off it goes, it falls down, and these kingdoms fall. Hey, brothers and sisters, in from these we have the head of gold. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to skip across here, verse 31. What is the interpretation, he says? First one is, 
Thou, O king, sawest a, behold a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron, part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of the iron and the clay, and break them to pieces. Notice, at the end of verse 38, giving the interpretation, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, remember he's captive now, thou art this head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, in your kingdom, you're the head of gold. If you read on in Daniel, you read of uh, another kingdom that comes, and uh, they, they do away with Belshazzar, has Belshazzar's feast when the hand comes and writes on the wall. That's the end of the Babylonian kingdom. Daniel chapter 5. And then we have the silver in the arm kingdom come. Darius or Darius and Cyrus, the Medes and the Persians. That was a joint confederacy. They come in. And this is the dream. And then the bronze is Alexander the Great. The legs of iron was the pagan Roman Empire. This is the time when our Lord Jesus was alive and Pontius Pilate and so forth and all of that. And it goes right down. The, so you see the one world order, the, the, the one world government comes the whole way down from a head of gold. The arms of silver right through time. Right down to the Rome and then the, arm, the feet of clay and, uh, and iron. Um, without getting into this, I've taught on it extensively, without getting into it, but those feet actually represent ten uh, peoples or nations that were around who, who actually they, they attacked Rome and Rome collapsed because of them. Pagan Rome collapsed. But then after pagan Rome collapsed, what happened? A little horn known as the little horn of Daniel came up out of all of these ten horns, which are the ten toes, and that little horn was the papal horn. The papacy arose. And off those ten nation areas, we have the area of what's known today as the European Union. But the stone cut out without hands smashes at those feet. But the whole trait right down collapses. Revelation, the book of Revelation, especially when the 17, 18, and you'll read of this stone cut out without hands, but it's in a different form. 19, Revelation 19, there's a man comes on a white horse whose name is written on his thigh and it's called the Word of God. It's the coming of Christ. The coming of Jesus. To where? To Babylon. To Babylon where uh, in the Middle East today? No, he's coming to Jerusalem. But he's coming to smash the Babylonian system. What is the Babylonian system? It's that which is now, as Israel were taken captive then, so it's taken you and I captive now. What is that system? It's the monetary system. The whole banking cartels, the banking bigwigs. Please don't go into your, your, your uh, local bank and start giving off to people. It's not their fault. The Bilderbergers. The Rothschilds, the Goldman Sachs, George Soros, and all those who are now funding all of these groupings. They're funding them. But instead of being just around Europe or the European Union, it's now worldwide. It's spread like this. It was already happening, but it's being revealed now. And it's a new world order. It's a one-world government that they're pushing for. And you and I are the new captives in their Babylon. 
our monetary system, our banking system, the usury system. Israel were not allowed to do that usury. And you and I are captive. So what do they do? They tell us we're to bow down and worship the image of the beast. Go with me, for example. Revelation chapter 3. Or pardon me, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He made this big idol. Why? Because the previous chapter Daniel said thou art this head of gold. And it went to his actual head. Oh well then I'm great. An evil thought then would come to him worse than what he ever had before. Sets up an idol where all these nations were to come together and he sets up music. I happen to go into it. You read through there. And he sets up all the instruments. And he says, I want you to tell everyone in all of Babylon or all the nations, all the provinces that we run, when you hear the sound of the music, you fall down and worship this image. Worship this image. You can read that on down. Notice, go down Daniel 3 with me, please. Verse 4, And the herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. Notice this. People, nations, and languages. This is the embryonic form of what you and I are sitting in today. This is the embryonic form of it. Now it's coming closer to the end and the coming of Christ. And now it's being more prevalent among us. They're, they're right there. They just say these words. It doesn't matter. They don't care anymore. Because they feel they've got the upper hand. Their kingdom is, is in sight now. And it's almost built. And this is all satanic. It's all satanic. 33 degree masonries the whole way through it. Notice here. Verse 5, And what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down. So they're cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Is everybody with me okay? They're cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Notice, when you hear the music, you dance the art tune, in other words. You dance the art tune. In Babylon, they're captives. There's no support. There's no one there. But they know God is alive. And he's on their side. They don't bow down. They're cast into the furnace. Listen, here's what's happening today as well. Let your eye run down. Verse 9, verse 10. They go to the king. Thy, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worship, worshipeth that, he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. 
There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Here's what's happening in our nation now. They're turning the people against the people. They're turning the people against the people. If it's not racial, by all of these, all these uh, lobbyist groups, all these groups, are, if it's not racial, then what they'll do, and turning people against people, here's what they'll do next. And what they're doing is then if they're putting on a face mask. And if you don't wear one, you're wrong. You're, you don't care about people. You have no love in you. You're spiteful. You're hateful. You don't care about your granny. They start putting the, the guilt trips on us. Trying to blackmail you. Guilt trips. This one's for my granny. Do you ever see that? This one's for my, my mother. This is for my children. This is for this. And, and they put it on the people. King Nebuchadnezzar, they're not bowing down to worship the image and the idol. Throw them in the fiery furnace. See, the longer you and I stand, church, you be prepared for the fire to get hotter, for the flames to get brighter, and to be thrown into the midst of it. You be prepared. It's happening. Notice this. Here's their answer. Verse 15. I'll have to close soon. Verse 15. Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbolt, the psaltery, the dulcimer, all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Hey, what does he say? Where's your God now? Where's your God now? Where's your God now? Eh? That's what the world's saying to us. Where's your God now? Do they not believe that the stone kingdom cut out without hands that we talked told you about? That started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob became Israel. Israel became the twelve tribes, split into two kingdoms. And through that, we now have you and I sitting here. We are in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom's here. But it's going to be smashed at the feet that all will crumble once and for all when Jesus comes again. I believe Jesus is coming again. Notice this. Where's your God? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. See, if you put us in there, if it be so, then God can deliver us. Verse 18. But if not, but if God doesn't want to deliver us there and then, if you put us in the fiery furnace and you burn us to a cinder, there's coming a day, it's called the great resurrection of the just. And I'll live again with Christ. 
But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. We're not going to worship your gods. We're not going to worship their gods out there either. We worship the one true living God. He has a name. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Notice this. But if not, be it known unto thee. You listen, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the king over all of these provinces. You're the big wig in the situation. And who are we? We're the captives set away out in Babylon where no one knows us. But we want you to know God knows where to find me. Did you hear that, brother or sister? He knows where to find you. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19, was full of fury. Heats it up seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the mighty men that were in the army to bind them and cast them in. Let your eye run down. You all know where I'm going to go with this. But I want you to read it. I want you to hear it. Verse 22, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the, into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Notice, they're not only captives in Babylon, taken away from all they know, and all that they know taken away from them. They are now bound. They are now thrown into the fire, probably face down. There you are, you're, you're like a, a, a faggot for the burning. You're like another log put on the fire. Notice verse 25. Pardon me, verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said, Unto his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto him, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. See what all that's going on, brother, sister. There's too many Christians. God is using this in many ways. Do you know Christians used to pray? Used to call down fire from heaven to get the pubs closed? Now most, a lot of Christians are joining them. Isn't that true? Yes, churches closed down. The buildings. But no, God has done. He's closed down pubs. He's closed down blasphemous theatres. He's closed down rotten, filthy whorehouses. He's closed all of that down. But here's the thing, they can't operate there. He didn't close the church down. We're the church. In fact, the church is the ecclesia. Do you know what the ecclesia really is? The called out ones. Do you know what they were? Not just to worship. They were to govern the nation of Israel. They're actually a governmental body too. To have sway in the things that happened in Israel. That's what we're meant to be. That's who we're meant to be. That's what we're meant to do. And, and people are hiding at home. Some people can't help themselves because of maybe an illness or whatever. And, and we understand that. 
But there are those Christians who God has not only done all of that with the word, but he's sifted the church to see who's ready to say, God knows where I am, and if you throw me into the midst of the burning fiery furnace, I'm willing to go. If God wants to save me from it, he will. If he wants to preserve me in it, he will. But I'm not afraid of you, Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm certainly not going to fall down and worship your God. I'm not going to dance to the tune that just all play in the new world order. The Bible is more relevant to us today. What date's today? What is it? 13th, is it? I can hardly remember what day it is. Never mind the date sometimes. 13th of September. Should <laughs> anyone ask you that too? 13th of September 2020. Listen, church. See, when you walk out that door, you, like me and all the rest, we'll go and get our Sunday dinner. And we'll maybe talk about these things and maybe share them online, and that's good. That's how we get the word out. That's fine. That's not what this is about. It's about you leaving here. It's about you realizing who you are in Christ, that the kingdom of God is within you. And when he comes in his fullness, he's going to change the kingdom of God to be out there. I can do. What is it? I can do how many? All things through Christ which strengthens me. Is there a verse? Of course there is. Is it what they say there is? I don't believe so whatsoever. But the people are in fear. Here's what the rest of them do. The music's playing. The government said, the latest report from Bojo. Or whoever else. Here comes Arling and Michelle. Going to tell us, oh, here's Robin Swan. And all. Listen, I'm not demeaning your position. I'm not demeaning it. But here's what I'm saying to you. We latch on more to what they say. We latch on more to their podiums than what is preached from the pulpit. we do God knows where to find you not only in your weakness and your sickness and your illness God knows where to find you in, when you're depressed or when you're down when you're fearful your anxiety God knows where to find you your position where you are your condition how you are inside and when they were in the fiery furnace Nebuchadnezzar comes and says look was there not three men thrown into the fire Yes, yes, sir, yes. O king, there was, there were three. Well, how come I see four? Know how they saw four? Because God knew where to find them. God knew their position. He knew their condition. And he knew where to find them. His omnipresence was with them. His omnipotence rescued them. His omnibenevolence was always for them. His omniscience knew where to find them. See, for you and I, I think I'm going to carry this on, this subject on for another week. See, you and I, you and I need to realize, believers, blood washed, you and I need to realize that God loved us before you were even born. 
You know I had someone come on and try to attack me last during the week on our page because I told you God loved you today the way he did yesterday. A Christian attacked me. He says if God falls out, you know. Trusted scripture, but nevertheless. I don't even give them the time of day now. I just block them. I just get out of the road. Too busy working for the kingdom. Too busy to look back. We're looking forward. We're looking forward. We're going on ahead. You know why? Because the great stone, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone is coming. Revelation 19, there he is on his white charger. His name is the Word of God. He's going to smash this system of wickedness, of abortion. Hey, think about it. Think about it. You ladies know better than us men. And you men that maybe were there when your, your wives were given birth and if you near fainted like I did. Just those few minutes before that baby's born through the matrix of the womb. Just minutes, five minutes. It's okay to kill that baby. That's what they're saying. Five minutes later, that wee thing crying in your arms, you protect it with all your heart. They say, no, it's murder. Five minutes makes the difference. I told you a few weeks ago, watch this space. They're trying to legalize pedophilia. Has anybody noticed that? It's growing with momentum. They're trying to do it. They've brought it, they've brought it to uh, the courts in California. Some are saying it was already pa- it's passed. Do you know when it was, they say it was passed? Some say it wasn't passed. Well, I don't know what, what, whether it was passed fully or not. But see, when they brought this to the courts or to government in, in California, do you know whenever this was brought out? Five minutes before the Californian fire, or pardon me, five days before the Californian fires. Five days. And California's burning. There's good people there. You need to pray for them. But at the same time, God knows where to find them too. And there's abortion clinics that are closing all over the United States because people are wakening up to what's happening. You pray about this. Pray into this. And I could go on and on, but you know what's out there. You're seeing it. So what are you going to say today? I'm struggling. He knows where to find me. I'm weak. He knows where to find me. Getting it hard. He knows where to find me. Going to the doctors. He knows where to find me. I've got a bad report. Yeah, but he knows where to find me. Jesus is the fourth man in the fire. He's the fourth man. God bless every one of you this morning. I love your souls. You know that. I love you as in the Lord. I want to see you doing well. Let's go on on God.